linebacker as a lead blocker. Jones throws it to Harris behind him. It's intercepted. Picked off. And it's Jacoby McClain. Can he take it? Are you kidding me? 100 yards. Touchdown. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASN podcast. I'm your host, Peter. That is Dan. And today we have a very, very special guest for you guys. Uh, He's our first guest. We're honored to have him on the show. Uh, Former Auburn Tiger linebacker and current Baltimore Raven linebacker, Zacoby McLean. What is going on, my man? How are you? I'm good. Just chilling, relaxing. Get my mind right. Dan, doing good today? You ready to go? Doing great. Excited to have our first guest. First guest ready? We're all, yeah, I think we're all set. All right. Awesome, man. So uh, really the first thing I wanted to ask you, Zacoby, just outright is how's camp going? Uh, camp going good. You learn a lot of play, a lot of defense, learn how the NFL operate, learn how to just certain office, offenses and just going good. That's good to hear, man. That's really good to hear. Since obviously you guys are like inner squatting against each other, who's the toughest guy to tackle in practice right now? Uh, we, we, we get it past tomorrow. I'm going to fight tomorrow. Oh, all right. Awesome. Great. Great. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to, uh, circle back to you on that one. I want <laughs> yeah, to, I want to know the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody going to be hard to talk for me though. Hey, there we go. I like that confidence. There we go. <laughs> awesome. So who, who's the biggest mentor so far, whether that's a, a coach or another, a veteran player, who's somebody that you've been able to take after a little bit? Uh, Josh Bonds, number 56, 12 year vet. Uh, he was former Auburn Tiger, too. He wanted that to with him. Going back, kind of like, because obviously, you know, you're a rookie now, so you haven't really had NFL experience yet, but I kind of wanted to talk quickly about, like, you know, how you were the most productive linebackers, not only in the country. So we're talking about the SEC. We're talking about cream of the crop talent. Yeah. And you're e- easily one of the most productive linebackers in the entire country. You know, 227 tackles over your career. 19 for a loss, five and a half sacks. Of course, a famous pick six in the Iron Bowl against Alabama. I see I got a smile out of you on that (laughs) one. To ensure at the next level that you could obtain the same type of production, what are you going to bring to the table? Uh, I'm going to bring a lot. Uh, This offseason, I worked harder than I ever worked. In in the offseason, I've ever been in. I'm just going to lock in, be more of a student of the game, get a lot of advice from the vets, and just keep staying out with the coaches. So I can get, get high on my game and be better. Now, going back back to those college days, was that pick six the highlight of your college career, or was there something else? No, that pick six is the highlight of my year. Like, it, that, that was amazing. I can't even start thinking about it. I just I always go back and watch it. I was going to say, I actually um, – I've watched it a bunch of times before, but today I went <laughs> back again this morning, and I'm just like, that's so – I can't even imagine putting myself, like, in your shoes right there, like, running down that sideline. I know that's the fastest you've ever ran before in your life. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, like man. That's, that's got to be amazing. But I'm sure the crowd, you know, going through your head, you were probably just like, what the hell is going on as you're sprinting yeah. towards that end zone? That's got to be an amazing, amazing feeling, dude. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think if not for the kick six, that would be one of the – Probably the most, arguably the most iconic moment in the history of the Iron Bowl. Yeah, there you I go. mean, I'm in the history book. I'm in the history books. Yeah, absolutely, you absolutely are. Hundred yards, <laughs> man, dude. I can't even run a hundred yards without getting winded. 
<laughs> yeah, one of the other questions I wanted to ask, this doesn't have to be a current player, but it could be past or present. Who's someone that you try and emulate your game to? Like, who do you think you try and, and replicate the most? Uh, I got two people in mind. Uh, I, I could say Levante David, because he's my same size. He moves just like me. And um, Demario Davis, he a headhunter. He gonna not he run through everything. I could just say them two. It's all right choice between them. Yeah, and those are those are two guys who didn't come into the NFL with a ton of attention. They weren't top prospects. I think both were both were. I think Levante was a second round pick. Demario Davis was a third round pick. Mm-hmm. So on, how did you balance? Uh, you know the disappointment of going undrafted, but also the excitement of signing with an NFL team and getting your career started. What was that? What was the uh, Day three of the draft, like for you? Uh, well, day three of the draft, when I get my name called, I was I was kind of sad. I was kind of like the down depressed. I ended up being depressed before, but I kind of think I was depressed at the time. But I just kept my head up and I just knew that once I get here, I just got to get here and have the opportunity. And once I get the opportunity, I'm just make the best of it. What led you to the Ravens? Did they did they push the hardest for you? How many teams were trying to sign you? Uh, the Ravens had called me like two weeks before the uh, draft started. And then before the draft started, they called me and they were calling me during the whole draft. And then right when the draft ended, they called me again. But it was like a lot of teams were interested, interested like about 18 were interested trying to get me to go there. I'm a big NFL draft guy, like the uh, one of the biggest nerds you'll ever meet when it comes to that stuff. So, you know, there was, there was also another guy I talked to a couple months ago. You probably know, you know, DeMarco Jackson from Appalachian State. No, I don't think I know him. Yeah, he was he, he was at the combine. He's a linebacker from App State. I mentioned to him he they said that he was slow, like 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 physically slow. And I asked him how he would translate his game to the NFL to kind of combat that you know their their weakness, I guess. So reading your draft profile, a lot of teams said that you're undersized, and that's what the worry was. What do you have to say about that? And how are you going to play bigger than your size in the NFL? I've been doing it my whole life. I've been called undersized since I was in high school. When I got the car, they said I was undersized. 197, one of the They said I wouldn't be able to play this to see, and I did it. But one thing about me is all about, your, about the heart and want to, and the love of the game. I just love the game. So the size don't mean nothing. It's about the dog inside you. I like that. I like that. I like that you use the term dog because I'm a, I'm a Jet fan. We're both Jet fans. And, you know, a lot of people have been saying Zach Wilson's a dog lately. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, going back, watching a lot of your tape and stuff, I mean, there's one game that definitely stands out to me. This isn't really like a question, just more of a comment, is watching you against Georgia. I think it was in 2020. And, man, every single time that someone touched the rock on the Georgia offense, you were there, dude. Like, I, I see number nine on that screen. Every single time, and I'm like, how, how do you do it, man? I mean, you must be in you must be in that room watching film for hours and hours. Can you kind of give us a little like insight on what the preparation is like for just one game? Uh, mainly, I just listen to my coaches. Like we go in the film, they just tell us what's going to come. We just work against scout team a lot, and I go back and watch it and see the team's weaknesses and how I can just miss like my D line and get his gap. I get reach. I just replace them and be able to get to the ball quicker. Nice. Yeah, you definitely got to the ball quickly. Every time they got past the defensive line, number nine was there in that game especially. Uh, you played in the toughest conference in the nation, in the SEC. 
faced a lot of great offenses. What was the toughest offense you faced? I know you faced LSU in 2019, but Auburn almost won that game, held them to 23 points. Were they the toughest offense you faced, or was it somebody else? Oh, the, it was that LSU team. That's probably like one of the best teams I've seen in the SEC in a minute. But they had a lot of weapons in Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Joe Burrow. They had a lot of people, and that defense was just – it had an amazing defense. I got something to show you here. This is the – that's the that's the hat for Joe Burrow. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah bro. <laughs> He's funny. No, man, that – um. Yeah, that offense was absolutely insane. A lot of people think that that's the best college football team ever. I don't know about that, but it certainly is definitely up there with with one of the best. I kind of believe so. I, I, I like that. I like that too, though. Cause what we, cause look, though, what we put Justin Jefferson on the uh, Bengals right now? I was, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna say if there's anyone to ask right now, especially in this Zoom call. I mean, it's the guy that literally went up against that offense. So, you know. Yeah. Right from you know, right, right from your mouth, saying that it's probably the toughest team. I, I would believe you over me, who hasn't stepped on a football field in like ten years. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but think about that. I mean, one day you're going to look back. You could look back on it now, but we might be looking back at three Hall of Famers one day on that offense when we talk about Joe Burrow. To- I thought you meant us. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, well, of course, it's a given. But Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson on the same offense. That's ridiculous. And then uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was another first-round pick. Terrace Marshall was on that team too, right? Terrace Marshall was on that team. And they had, uh, I don't know, five or six defensive guys picked. Unreal. Patrick Queen was on that defense too. That's right. Hey, now you're playing with Patrick Queen. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's got to be amazing. What is this – is this all kind of like still a dream to you? Because I can, I mean, you could, you see, you seem very humble and you seem like very just excited. Every time I bring it up, you, you know, you get a smile on your face and everything. What's, what's it feel like? Is it not really real yet until you start hitting each other with pads or what's going on? Oh, no, it's just, it still feel like a dream to me. I think it really going to hit me when we, the first pieces again, really going to hit me, but it just feel like a dream right now. I always think, I, I always feel like linebackers have it really really tough i feel like it's besides for maybe offensive line it's one of the most thankless positions in the nfl i mean you guys are always there uh, cleaning up everything you especially i mean your product your productivity was off the charts in college and i really hope it translates to the nfl because i think that there's certainly especially not even in the nfl especially on the ravens there's definitely a place for you there and i hope you absolutely kill it dude yeah are you gonna translate i promise you're gonna translate Hey, I like that. I like that. Is there an is there an Auburn teammate of yours that you think is people are sleeping on in the NFL? I know Smoke Monday was somebody else who went undrafted. Is there somebody maybe still in college or just coming out now that you think is going to have a great career from Auburn? A lot of I got a lot of people that going they're going to just go crazy. But I, I can say uh, I can say Seth Williams though. He at the Broncos right now. Mm-hmm. He's been working real hard. You need that opportunity. Now, this is a weird question, and I might sound like an idiot saying this, but is Smoke Monday's real first name Smoke? <laughs> nah, I didn't really smoke. It's Quandarius. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was, I mean, it was that like the two greatest names in college football last year was uh, Smoke Monday and Storm Duck. Those are the two greatest names in, in, in college football. He's on Oregon <laughs> Storm Duck. Yeah. There's a, there's a Storm Duck. Yeah, Storm Duck. I've I'm, never I'm heard of Storm sure he, Duck. I'm pretty sure he he came out this year too. 
I don't remember. I know he played for Oregon though. Storm Duck. Most I think he's perfect a name for Oregon. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to touch on so you know Auburn Auburn kind of came into the spotlight after the season because uh, your coach for one year Brian Harson was investigated by the program and he fought for his job. Uh, and he kept his job. And I know a lot of a lot of former players from Auburn kind of spoke out and said that he wasn't treating the players properly. And I know you push back on that a little bit. You call the rumors foolish. So what what is what does the public not know about Brian Harson that you know from your one year there? Uh, well, they don't know what happened behind the scenes. You feel me? They just hear he say, she say. But um, like once I look back at him, when I get to the league, I just realized that like, he's he, he's very he's a very good coach, and he's just. He was coaching us like an NFL coach or coach. Us. He, every time we go work out, he'll go run, run with us. We want to stay down decks. We do gases here. He'd be running with us. He do push-ups with us. Like he do everything with us. And like he loves his players and he's just a good person. That's fantastic. That's exactly what you want. Cause if you're order if you're ordering me to do hundred push-ups, I kind of want to see if you could do it too. Honestly. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> and I, I was happy to see him stay on. I mean, coaches, coaches deserve more than one year anywhere. You exactly. Know, all the what the rumors about him seem more like rumors than anything. That's so I, that's kind of what I figured. Yeah, that day was it really was. This was really great, really great though. Yeah, I mean, Zacoby, the first thing I want to say, man, you know, you taking time out of your busy schedule to even talk to us is fantastic. So we really, really appreciate that. Uh, I think you're going to be great. I know Dan thinks that you're going to be great. We can't wait to see you out there. I'm going to be looking for you in that first preseason game. You're going to see me. Yeah, I got somebody to watch now. This is going to be good. a lot of fun. Yeah, for you. Don't forget, I got to follow up with you. I know now you follow us on Twitter now, so that's that's yeah. that's big for us. So I'm gonna follow up with you and ask you how it feels hitting with those pads on. Yeah, they're gonna be easy. I've been doing this since I was six. There we go, baby. I love that. Everyone, Jacoby McLean. Thank you so so much for coming on. We really really appreciate it. And you are our first guest, and you're always going to be near and dear to our hearts with this one. Thank you, man. Really appreciate Welcome. it. Appreciate y'all. So if you're coming in right now, that was Zacoby McLean, former Auburn Tiger linebacker, and now on the Baltimore Ravens. Hopefully, I pray to God that he makes the roster because, as he said, he's a dog and he's been playing this game since he's six. So he knows exactly what's up. He knows how to get on an NFL roster. I'm very, very excited for him, and we cannot thank him enough for coming on. First guest, obviously, uh, we were really, really excited, and we have a lot of Things lined up in the future that are going to be just as good, maybe even better, Dan. So I'm really, really excited for that. But let's get down to business. We have a whole rest of an episode to go through. And there's there's quite a bit of unpacking to do here. Yeah, I'd say so. And, you know, we've got to unpack something we talked about last week. So we, you know, last week we went so far into this Kyler Murray extension. And I, I know you didn't like the money he got. And of course it was it was more money than he's worth, but sometimes that's what you gotta pay franchise quarterbacks. Ugh. But the, the most interesting part of that contract was not the two hundred and thirty million dollars. It was something that came out this week, uh, and that was the independent study clause in his contract that uh, required him to put four hours of independent game study uh in in basically put four hours of study in each week, you know, as if he was a high schooler or something like that. Uh, and that got leaked by, I believe, Ian Rappaport during the week. I believe he first reported it. Bag. And, <laughs> and that set off more of a firestorm than any of the money in the contract did. Uh, by the end of the week, the Cardinals rescinded that independent study clause, but not before Kyler Murray came out, did a surprise media availability, and called the reaction to it a joke. 
said it was disrespectful that people are saying he's not studying, uh, you know, film, uh, not preparing for games. He said, uh, I think one of the things he said, the most important thing he said was, at my size, there's no way uh, to, to not prepare for a game and still come out and play as well as I do. Um, and he, he spoke at length about it. Uh, he obviously wasn't happy about it. And I, I think what, he, what he's unhappy about is the way he comes off, of course. You know, people are seeing this and they're saying, oh, here's a guy who doesn't put as much into the game as the Cardinals would hope. Uh, or as, or it doesn't put as much as it requires to be an elite quarterback. And maybe that's why the team has struggled down the stretch the last two years. Uh, but one interesting take I've seen lately is people saying that the Cardinals really come out of this looking worse. Uh, one, for putting it in there. And then two, for trying to, to put We're it back in the box and yeah. telling it. There's so many things that I want to say about this. And the first thing is this whole offseason, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person that feels like this. I I liked Kyler Murray in the NFL before this offseason, but I have basically no like, likeness left for him anymore. Just the way that he played it off in the offseason, you know, deleting everything Arizona Cardinals out of his social medias, then being like, well, you know, I don't really know how much I love this team. Signing an absolute massive extension to this coming out and then the clause coming out. What I mean, yeah, it doesn't look good. The Cardinals rescinding it definitely doesn't look good. There's a reason why they put it in there, though. They didn't just put it in there for, for nothing. And Kyler Murray, I said it last week and I'll say it again, is a guy that doesn't seem like – I don't want to say that football is his only love, but I feel, I, I feel like he seems like a guy that just – isn't in love with the game of football and is not in love with the fact that he's on the Arizona Cardinals. It's just how I feel. It, and like you said, another claim that could be backed up is the collapses that they have at the end of the season too. It seems like as this, he always starts off on fire, I feel like. And then he kind of just like kind of cools down as the stretch goes on. And I don't really know what it is, but they're like him coming out and saying it. And I was the second top comment on your post when you posted that. And I said, oh, well, they put it in there for a reason, Kyler. Why did they put it in there if, if, if it's disrespectful? To me, my original comment was going to be, but this was going to sound very Boomer-esque. And it's still going to sound very Boomer-esque. But if you do hard work, if you are a hardworking NFL player and you put as much time and effort into it as you say, why does that bother you to the point where you have to? And Kyler's not notoriously a media guy either. Why do you have to come out and basically have a press conference about it saying this is ridiculous, this is disrespectful, basically defending yourself to almost make yourself believe what you're saying? Yeah, and he was, you know, he, he went there to talk about the reaction to it. So, you know, he's not calling out the Cardinals, he's calling out the media, but mm -hmm. he's calling out the Cardinals. I mean, we know yeah, that, absolutely. right? Like we know, we, we know he's upset with it being included in there. He might not have even known it was in there, but when he signed it. Uh, he he he's I think he's misdirecting his his outrage toward the the media uh, or the fans or whatever whoever's reacting. I think we, it's pretty clear his issues with the Cardinals, and um, you know that that's a problem because when you when you sign somebody to a five year extension, uh, even if they were involved in trade rumors before, you think okay that's the end of it. Like we we put an end to this to these incessant rumors uh, by by agreeing to this deal, and all of a sudden. Three days later, after this contract is signed, you're back with this drama where he's clearly upset with the Cardinals for putting it in there. If he wasn't, they wouldn't have taken it out. They didn't, they didn't take it out because of the media reaction. Uh, that, that's, 
you know, it's the, that was supposed to be the end of all this off season of, or like you said, he deleted his post. Uh, he put out like that that five paragraph uh, essay, basically explaining why he needed a contract extension, which was really bizarre. Yeah. I mean, this is I. It's just all very strange. But uh, one thing that this reminds you of, like you said, like you sign a contract extension, usually that signals the end of the turmoil. But this reminds me a lot of when Odell Beckham signed that contract extension with the Giants, where we thought, okay, like all those rumors are done. You know, Odell's a grown up. And, you know, now that I think about it and the more that you kind of go into it, it kind of seems like the Giants were more at fault than the, than Odell was. Yeah. But that's a separate issue. But And then what was it? One year after he signed it, he got traded to the Browns? It was uh, a little over six months. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, like yeah. that's what I'm saying. It it, yeah. it really reminds me of it to the point where like if this continues to be an issue or or Kyler has you know transgressions with the front office of the Cardinals or he continues to battle with the media, it sounds like something that might get him a one way ticket out of Arizona. We don't know if that's what he wants. I mean, he just signed a five year extension, but honestly, I I don't like the Red Sox, and if you gave me a five year two hundred thirty million dollar deal to sign with the Red Sox, I'd certainly do it. You know, it it seems more like. He's more in it for the money than the glory. And I mean, go, go chase your bag, bro. Like I, I, there's no, we have no right to not tell him to do that because at the end of the day, you're, you're never, especially in the NFL, you're not gifted tomorrow. You don't know, you know, a head injury, anything could, you're done. And then you're left up shit's Creek without a paddle. If you did, if you didn't sign a a long-term deal, but so he got his money, but it still doesn't seem like he's happy. And it really doesn't seem like the Arizona Cardinals are that happy either. Yeah, this is it's not an untradeable contract either. Like we talk about how huge how huge it is, but I look at the way things are going for quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers makes 50 million a year. Uh, Josh Allen 43 million a year is close to Kyler Murray. Lamar Jackson's going to be in the 50 million dollar range. Patrick Mahomes make 45 million. You know, another year if not right now. This is going to be what it is for a franchise mm-hmm. quarterback, 45 46 million. So, you know, not every team would be able to take that on in a year, let's say. But Plenty of them that are desperate for a franchise quarterback probably would be willing. I mean, look what the Colts did. They took out, they took on Carson Wentz's deal. Uh, they didn't give up. They didn't give up too too much because of it because they were taking on that kind of salary. And it wasn't for five years. It was more. I, I don't know how long it goes, but it wasn't another five years. Uh, but if you're desperate enough for a quarterback, that's that's what you take on. And so you know, if if he ended up in an Odell Beckham situation and this season doesn't go well, uh, and they have issues with him. I don't think it's impossible that he can be traded now, even with this extension. But uh, if if there are problems and the season doesn't work out, I think the first to go are going to be Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime. Yeah, uh, sort of like what the Vikings did this past year. You know, the se- disappointing season, obviously. Uh, but who went? Not Kirk Cousins. It was Mike Zimmer and it was uh, Rick, uh, Rick Spielman. They hired a new coach. They hired a new GM. If it doesn't work out this year. I think Kirk is gone. I I could see that with Kyler where, you know, if it doesn't work out this year, get rid of the whole regime, start new, uh, have them inherit Kyler Murray. And then if 2023 shows no real signs of progress, then at that point, maybe they look at making a move. Well, you got to kind of think that really Kyler has to be in that as well, because Kime, I mean, Kingsbury literally came in and was like, I hate Josh Rosen. I'm going to go out and get a quarter. Like you just took a quarterback. When was he draft? Like eighth overall or whatever it was, or ninth or 12th, whatever. Yeah. Whatever it was. I named every other number except for 10. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm right, that's if I'm correct. I I, I think, I think you're right. Uh, But you know, 
he came back and was like, listen, we have the first overall pick. I'm going to take a quarterback. And there was so many other players. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Kyler Murray, like I said, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's not a good quarterback. I'm not going to say that. He's better than most. But there was other routes they could have went. But they said, all right, Cliff, you know, you're you're the head coach now. Uh, we'll do what you want. And, and you know, Kyler's kind of attached to Cliff Kingsbury, too. I mean, there's also $230 million that's attached to Kyler. But I, I, I got to feel like if Kingsbury and Kime go, I feel like Kyler Murray is going to get traded by whoever comes in. And don't worry, every, every NFL team has an out with a quarterback now because, I mean, the Indianapolis Colts are trading for veteran quarterbacks every single year. So yeah. I'm sure that next year after Matt Ryan's arm falls off or something that, you know, they'll be in the market for Kyler Murray or something like that. I mean, it's a... It's a conversation for another day, but there, there's going to be a time on the show when we got to talk about how many teams might need a quarterback mm-hmm. after 2022. Because I, I've looked at this before, and you could you could say there's the potential for almost half the league. Now, it's like that, that's not going to it's not going to be half the league because some teams are going to win this year. Some teams yeah. are going to are going to surprise uh, and stick with their quarterback for at least another year. You know, kind of like the Saints did this past year with Jameis Winston. They they looked like a team that might need a quarterback. It didn't shake out that way, so they kept Jameis. It's, that's going to happen for some teams next year. But, man, there, there are so many teams that do not have a long-term answer at quarterback. And the ones that – some of them that do have a franchise quarterback are kind of year-to-year. You look at the Bucs, yeah. the Packers, uh, the Colts. You know, like you, like you mentioned, the Colts with Matt Ryan, who knows. So – the, the quarterback market is going to be insane next year. And that, that's kind of why I think, you know, if in the event they wanted to trade Kyler Murray, even with this big contract, I don't think they'll really have a hard time finding a team yeah. that's going to be willing to take on that that kind of money. See, Dan, you are – you see what I'm doing right here with my fingers? Every Everyone is <laughs> listening, so obviously they can't see. But I'm dropping seeds. Dan is just dropping seeds for eventually when Kyler Murray inevitably gets traded that we could come back to this very moment and say, Dan – was the one who predicted that Kyler Murray gets traded to the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> Don't think I'll forget it. I won't forget it. Listen, good for the Colts if they do that, because he might be the first one that they keep for more than a year. Yeah, well, I, hope. I don't know, man. It looks like a carousel that's never going to end over there. But like I said, like you said, uh, conversation for a different day. I mean, there's so many. We, I honestly feel like that's something that we would have to spend an entire episode on just breaking down, because oh, yeah. there's so many scenarios for so many different teams that – it's going to take forever, but think about the Dolphins, you know, the Giants. Don't, don't, get, me, don't get me started about two attack. Right, these are teams that these are teams that you know, if things don't go well in Miami, they need a quarterback. So many teams. It's going to be it's going to be chaotic next year, just like it was this year. And there's a, a solid draft too, mm-hmm. a solid group of quarterbacks coming out of college. And one of those teams that's going to be almost certainly kicking from that crop of young quarterbacks is the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, Dan, the transitions are just too <laughs> clean lately, Dan. And, and the Seahawks are one of two teams that have a quarterback, active quarterback competition. We thought the Falcons might have one. They kind of hinted at it. But uh, lately they said Marcus Mariota is the guy. Desmond Ritter might make some starts later in the year. And I, I get that. They, they wouldn't have brought in Mariota if they didn't think he was going to win the starting job. And I don't, think there's, I don't think there's a quarterback that – is more of a definition of mid than Marcus yeah. Mariota. Well, of course. Like I, I, I posted their power ranking today. Thirty uh, first. Oh, so I'm assuming they're thirty one. If they if. were thirty one, and and what I said is that their quarterback next year is in college right now. I have no doubt that their quarterback next year is getting ready to play. Yeah, their final final collegiate season right now, and they know that. That's fine. Um, 
And before we get into the Seahawks, I, I do want to say the the Panthers technically have a quarterback competition. Going I was going to mention that. Yeah, I don't think it's a competition. I, I okay. they they wouldn't have brought in Baker Mayfield if he wasn't going to beat out Sam Darnold. Yeah. If they thought they were on an equal level, there there would be no trade. So let me, yeah. let me just, if I'm wrong, you can come back to this fine. But Baker Mayfield is, is their starter. Uh, but in Seattle, I think it's a legit competition. And to be honest, I don't think Drew Locke is really the favorite. Um, this is obviously not something that a ton of people are paying attention to. The Seahawks are going to be the bottom of the NFC West, if not the bottom of the NFC, if not the bottom of the NFL. Uh, <laughs> but it, it is very interesting because Drew Locke was somebody who looked like he had a little bit of an NFL future at one point after that. He I mean, he was saying I put on on the on the on the sideline. <laughs> with his teammates, like he was an NFL. I thought he was going to be an NFL superstar after that. I mean, and it was all I mean, downhill after that. He was solid down the stretch that year, but it, it just didn't work out for him. There, He's too mistake prone. Yeah, I think that's the issue. It's, it's kind of Sam Darnold's issue too. Is As much as they show flashes, nah, Sam Darnold you, just, just sucks. You, just, you just can't make mistakes like that. Uh, just, just dumb mistakes that you really have no excuse for. Uh, so Drew Locke is going up against Geno Smith. Um, and I'm, I'm uh, you being a former Jets fan, us both. Well, not a former Jets fan. Geno Smith being a former say, Jets quarterback. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Geno Smith being a former Jets quarterback, and us being Jets fans. I kind of want to hear your thoughts on on who you think might come out on top in Seattle. You know, you know. All right, how you just said that Atlanta's next quarterback is playing in college. Same thing with Seattle. Yeah, it's and and Will Levis, it, Will Levis just speaks to me to the Seattle Seahawks, and I've been I've been saying that for a while. But, um, you know, I look at what Geno Smith has done in his career, and I look at Drew Locke, and there's far more instances for me thinking, you know, Geno Smith has actually shown some really decent decent flashes in his career of he could actually be like a starting caliber quarterback, maybe not on the Jets, but another team. So like. Everyone forgets like that that start against the Buffalo Bills where he had 158.3 quarterback rating. Like, you know, he played absolutely flawless that game. And there are a couple of games last year that he didn't play that bad either in relief of of whoever was injured at the time, obviously Russell Wilson. But, uh, you know, when he came in, he actually didn't play that terribly. So I, I feel like there's a weird transition uh, with NFL quarterbacks. And I feel like we've seen this with Colt McCoy too, where it's like kind of someone that's expected to be a superstar, doesn't really pan out, kind of sits on the bench for a couple of years, then gets called into action for a few games and then actually looks pretty good. And then carves out a nice career for themselves as, as a career backup. Yeah. I feel like that's what Geno Smith is doing. And Colt McCoy is probably one of, if not the best backup quarterbacks in in football and Blaine Gabbard has done that as well. He's carved himself a nice career. Like I think Geno Smith, given the opportunity, I think, I think he's going to beat out Drew Locke. I think Geno Smith is going to be the, the starter week one in Seattle. I think he, I think he fits what Seattle is trying to do a lot better than Drew Locke too. Yeah. I think he wins it. I mean, I mean, we know that because Pete Carroll keeps bringing him back. This yeah. is his fourth year in Seattle. He didn't, he didn't even throw a pass. Uh, in 2019, and then in 2020, he threw four pa- five passes, uh, and then so so it's it's hard to to remember that he's been there for four years now. But this is year number four. Uh, he knows the system really well. There's obviously something they like about him. And you're right. I think what he's the biggest thing he's got going for him, besides familiarity, is he played pretty well last year. You know, they went yeah. one and two. They weren't really winning with Wilson either, so you can't really blame him there. 
Uh, but he he completed 68% of passes in three starts, 702 yards, five touchdowns, only one interception. And uh, that's pretty important for a guy who threw 38, uh, sorry, 34 interceptions in two years with the Jets. Uh, if he can keep turnovers down and just be a game manager, I think you're probably in a better position than you would be with Drew Locke, especially with Locke's turnover. Yeah, because they asked Drew Locke to be a game manager, and he still turns the ball over. Right, right. He, <laughs> I mean, he's he's prone to careless decisions. And Geno Smith has been around the block now. He's not a rookie anymore. He this is his ninth, his tenth year in the NFL. Wow. Uh, you know he hasn't he hasn't started for an extended stretch uh, since he was with the Jets in 2014. You know when he ever since before he got punched in 2015. <sighs> so he's had time to learn. He's obviously got a little bit of arm talent. I mean, he, he you're right. He showed a lot of flashes with the Jets, usually when it was too late, but he did show <laughs> flashes. And for a Seahawks team that isn't really going into the year with any expectations of contending, I definitely wouldn't be shocked if he was a starter the entire year. And it, it reminds me a lot, if you remember, uh, in 2011, their quarterback was Tavares Jackson, mm-hmm. who died a couple of years ago, the late Tavares Jackson. He was the bridge quarterback between Matt Hasselbeck and Russell Wilson. It was originally thought he was going to be between Matt Hasselbeck and Matt Flynn. Things don't always work out like you expect. Uh, but he started the whole year. This wasn't a situation where like, he you know, started half the year and then got benched or anything. They let him go, I, I think, uh, 16 games if he didn't get hurt at all. I wouldn't be shocked if this is just all Geno Smith this year. Yeah, I, I also I wouldn't be surprised if it's all Geno Smith, but I think at some point, regardless, even if he's playing pretty well and they're losing, I think you're going to have to give Drew Locke somewhat of a shot at it. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's like, like, like you know, Geno plays like 13 games and like Drew plays like four. I feel like you got to at least try and see what what Drew Locke can give you because he was one of the pieces in the trade for Russell Wilson. So I feel like you gotta you kind of have to put him in there to kind of appease the fans that are probably like, well, why did we trade for him if Geno Smith is going to beat him out? You know, but I I think you're absolutely right. I think that I don't think that there's a doubt that Geno Smith is the starter going into this, and and it's it's freaking me out right now, Dan. That I literally just said something like that that Geno Smith is the starter. I'm getting like nom flashbacks right now, <laughs> like like saying something okay, like that. I never thought I'd hear again when he when he was punched in 2015, and that was the end of him with the Jets. That's what I'm saying. Like I never thought, dude. I'm t- I'm telling you, there's just an endless stream of guys that get drafted rather high, don't pan out, kind of lay low for a couple years, and then sure as shit, they come back and they're very very good backups. And that's what Geno Smith is. And um, you know, he's going to have the opportunity to start, and I I hope he does well. I I don't think that he's going to do bad. You know, you got two great receivers over there as well, and now you have Noah Fent over there as well. So you got a good tight end. You got Kenneth Walker and um, uh, Rashad, Penny. Rashad Penny. Thank you. I was going to say Chris Penny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> combination of retired Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. So, you know, they, they got some decent weapons. I mean, their offensive line isn't great, but it's not as bad as it was last year. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think that they're going to be anything, but they could definitely be competitive with Geno Smith under center. Yeah, I mean, look, I haven't ranked them yet. You know, I, I've done the first two, and I, a lot of people, when I ranked the Bears 32nd, were saying, where are the oh, Seahawks? That was so classic. And 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 I get that, but there's a reason they haven't been ranked yet. And they, they do have some pieces. Like, they, they've got a cohesive offense. They just don't have the quarterback. I think that's that gives them an advantage over teams that don't have any kind of cohesive offense. I love what you said yesterday on Twitter where it was like, these Bears fans think that their team is going to be better than last with Larry Borum at right tackle or something like that. And I was just like, oh, listen, preach. What, 
what I commented to somebody today was Bears fans, Bears fans will talk to you like they're coming off of seven straight years in the playoffs. It, it's unbelievable how much they think they're like, don't disrespect us. Like what have you <laughs> earned? I'm not saying that like you can't rank a team high if they haven't played well in past years. Of course you can. But like, what have you earned? Bills fans used to do this too. They, they used to, this is before the Josh, before Josh Allen was even. When Tyrod Taylor was okay. Tyrod Taylor. And even before Tyrod Taylor, Bills fans would come in and be like, how can you, like, you're always disrespecting the Bills like every year. And this is before they made any playoff appearances. And I'm thinking, they haven't been to the playoffs in 18 years. What do you mean I'm, I'm, I disrespect them every year? Like, obviously, they don't overperform when I rank them every year. You know, not at least not by much. <laughs> yeah. So there's always a few fan bases that are just weird like that. But it's fine. I get it. Now, um, there was the other competition you wanted to talk about. Yeah. You told me it was Pittsburgh. And this is, I think... This obviously gets more fanfare because Pittsburgh probably has the most well, besides for the Cowboys, probably has the most well-traveled fans in the NFL is Pittsburgh Steelers. So I know that this is more of a like a hot button issue, but obviously you got a quarterback competition between rookie Kenny Pickett, you got Mason Rudolph who knows the system, and then you got Mitch Trubisky. Now, my initial thought is I don't think with those two with those two veterans on the roster, I can't really see Kenny Pickett being the day one starter. Even him being drafted, him being the only quarterback drafted like in the first like two and a half rounds, I can't really see him starting. Uh, I think it has to go for me to Mitch Trubisky. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I've been hearing decent things about him in camp. And, you know, now he's kind of had a year to sit behind, you know, he had a year to sit behind Josh Allen kind of, you know, regather himself. You know, he's always going to be the guy that was drafted before Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. That's never going to change. And I think maybe getting, you know, having a year to kind of sit back, you know, be out of the spotlight. I think that really, really did him well. And I've heard really good things about him. I've heard good things about Mason Rudolph. I I can't say I've heard anything really negative or positive about Kenny Pickett yet. I did see a clip of him getting absolutely blitzkrieged by a, by a defensive lineman today. But other than that, I haven't really seen much. But I think Trubisky has it. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are a team that can win football games with mediocre play at the quarterback position. This is – I mean, they've done it for the past three years. Yeah, they just did it. Yeah, I mean, they've done it for the past three years, and they've gone to the playoffs two of those three times. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, when he threw for 5,000 yards – three years ago was still a shell of him his former self though. They also had no run game. Then between duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph the next year, they missed the playoffs by a game, you know, and then this past year, the, the corpse, as you like to say of Ben Roethlisberger was playing quarterback and they made, right. They made the playoffs, right. I'm not sure. Yeah. They made the playoffs. They even even got out to a lead against the chiefs. Yeah. So who's to say that, Mitch Trubisky or Mason Rudolph can't game manage them to the playoffs. They have more than enough talent across the roster to be a playoff team. Yeah, if you put them in the in the AFC South, right, with Trubisky there, I think they're they're not that far off from the Colts and uh, and Titans. I mean, if you, yeah. I, I would take the Colts. The the way the Titans are constructed, I feel like the Steelers would have a great shot in that division. So the, what gives me pause is the is the AFC North. Yeah, uh, and how loaded it is. But I, I think I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with you that he will start, that Trubisky will start. Uh, I, I actually I saw a couple of reports saying Kenny Pickett was starting slow. 
in camp. Uh, but, you know, it's July still. I mean, he's a rookie. Yeah. Happened. But he's. Did you see that clip, though, of him getting no. destroyed? I got to send it to you. I saw it on Twitter. It was it, like, I, I like closed it as soon as I saw the hit. I was like, wow, that, how did he even get up after that? And I, the funny part is, how did they even allow that to happen, too? Like, <laughs> yeah, aren't not supposed to be really doing that yet? I mean, I don't know. But I mean, that guy must be like an undrafted rookie that's like, he's like, I have to make the team. I don't care prove, about any picket. You know, <laughs> what cost? But, but there was a time, and I don't know, I don't, I forget which rookie snapped this streak. Uh, I don't know if it was, it might have been TJ Watt. Uh, there was a, a time when the Steelers went years. I'm say, talking like over a decade without a rookie, star, a rookie, uh, at least a rookie defensive player starting most of the uh, most of his rookie year. They they just had this like unwritten rule against starting rookies, uh, and while, while that's kind of gone away, and they've they've really had no problem going to rookies the last couple of years, especially yeah, with, uh, Harris last year. Yeah. yeah. And especially with some of the guys with some higher draft picks and taking guys as talented as TJ Watt and Najee Harris. Uh, I still feel like that may kick in a little bit with Kenny Pickett. You know, I don't know if they're ready to, if Mike Tomlin is really the type to go with a rookie quarterback. Week yeah. one. I think there's no doubt that Kenny Pickett starts games this year. And to be honest, if I had to bet, I'd probably say he starts more than half of them mm-hmm. um, because you got to get a look at it. He's 24, right? He's a, he's a, at least 23. He's an older. He's an rookie. older. He's 23. He's an this older like rookie. A, like a Zach Wilson or Sam Darnold coming into the NFL at 21. Like you don't really have time to let him sit back and learn. I, I think he's going to start a lot of games. But if you give Trubisky a multi-year contract, which I, I think they did. I think it was a two-year deal. Two, two-year, yeah. Yeah, I think you got to give him a shot. I, I think you kind of owe it to him. I mean, of course you want to do what's best for your team. But is Kenny Pickett? I think that's point? what's best for the team, though. Yeah, is Kenny Pickett really is that, that much better? Than, uh, than Trubisky, probably not. I think I think you got to go with what's best for the team. Um, and th- at this point, I'd probably go with Trubisky. I think you're right. Like this isn't a Seahawks situation where they're they're saying, of course they're not going to say this out loud, but they're going into a season expecting that they're going to lose. I think yeah. the Steelers are going in expecting that they're going to probably contend for one of those uh, lower playoff spots like they yeah. did last year. Uh, and while Kenny Pickett is the future, probably they hope uh, mm-hmm. Trubisky probably gives you the better shot to do that right now. They can do it. See, that's the thing. It, we're not talking about – I would rather have – at least this is me right now. I would rather have Trubisky because this is a guy that has made a ton of mistakes in his career, but he does know how to bounce back from it. Mm-hmm. You don't know how rattled Kenny Pickett's going to get. It's a tough fan base to play for. After October, it's like below freezing. It's a tough, right. I know he did play at Pitt, but – you know, Heinz Field or whatever it's called now is is a brutal, brutal place to play. You don't know how he's going to react. At least you know, even with Mason Rudolph, you know that they've been in these situations before. You know how they play, and they're going to adjust. And if I'm going into the season thinking that I'm a playoff team, I'm going to go with the guy that I know can adjust. You know, right. because, like, look at this roster. The defense is immensely talented. You know, you have superstars at – Basically every level, you know, you got Casey Hayward, you have uh, TJ Watt, you have Mika Fitzpatrick. There's there's superstars everywhere on the defense. The offensive line is improved while it's not much improved. They got James Daniels on a really, really sweet deal. And they got Mason Cole as well. So that's two problematic areas there. Najee Harris is in line for a really, really big um, workload, probably even bigger if you're going to have well, actually, it's going to be big either way. I think, I think the offense is probably going to run through him. The, the only be, disappointing part is that. Either way. The only disappointing part is 
that he doesn't have that line, that great offensive line, but it mm-hmm. is improved. I think he's I think he started to look more comfortable toward the end of last year, too. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if he puts up huge numbers, even yeah. if he's not totally efficient. And then everyone's forgetting about the new secret weapon in Pittsburgh is George is George Pickens as well. So, you know, you sure. got George Pickens who could who could I'm not saying it, it could it's gonna happen, but who could take targets away from Deontay Johnson outright? You know, how, many times, be, how many times have they gotten their, their top receiver out of the second or third round? Every yeah, one of them. Yeah. Everybody. Deontay Johnson was a day two pick. Uh, Juju was a day two pick. Antonio Brown was a day three pick. Yeah. Chase Claypool was a day two pick. So, yeah, That's, don't doubt that George Pickens can make a big impact. All he's got to do is stay healthy. They have they have a great team, and really the only two problematic areas is the quarter, the play. I shouldn't even say the quarterback position because those are three pretty solid options. Well, like, they're, they're, it's they're great, solid. but it's solid. Yeah. I mean, Mason Rudolph, I would not put in the solid category. But well, for Pittsburgh, I mean, he's he's one in Pittsburgh. For Pittsburgh, but but if you if you look around, here's the problem with them. It's the rest of the conference. Look at the quarterbacks in the AFC. This is this is the problem that they're not the only team that has this issue. But, but Dan, you know this. The Pittsburgh Steelers, we go into this, I feel like, for the past three or four years, saying, oh, the Pittsburgh Steelers aren't going to be shit. But then they somehow – Always find a way to be competitive, regardless of the competition. Last year, they faced 10, 10 of their games were against teams that had 11-plus wins the year prior, and they still made the playoffs. And they weren't really that great last year. They just always find a way to be around that competitive playoff area. And now I'm not going to say they're going to make the playoffs this year, but I honestly don't think it matters who they put under center. I really yeah, I mean, don't. They're going to be competitive. I, I think it's impossible for a Mike Tomlin team not to be competitive. Yeah. But I, I am worried about about the direction they're heading. If if first of all this year, because Mitchell Trubisky, as solid as he is, doesn't really stand up to the other quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the AFC, and it, you need Kenny Pickett to become one of those. Because yeah, Kenny Mitch Pickett Trubisky knows Zach Wilson. Kenny Pickett can't become a game manager and and expect to <laughs> go deep into the playoffs in the AFC. You know. You can you can win with a game manager in Pittsburgh. You can go ten and what is it now? Ten and seven with seventeen games. Yeah, uh, and make the That's playoffs. Good, but if you want to become the Steelers of old, where you're competing for AFC titles, I think they it's going to be a tough a, a tough road ahead because you've yeah. got. I mean, look at these AFC quarterbacks, and I, I know they can beat some of them because of that defense. It's, but in the playoffs, I don't. It's think the they most can. talented the AFC has at least been in our lifetime. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's yeah. it's my concern with the Jets too. Is you know, even if Zach Wilson turns in a nice year, I'm not sure how you're competing with. You know, I'll just do a quick run through Josh Allen, uh, Deshaun Watson. Whenever he's, you know, we're just talking going forward. I know he'll probably be suspended, but Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, uh, and then the, the entire AFC West: Justin Herbert, yeah. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, even Derek Carr. Uh, you know. Then you could throw in, not that these are at the level of those guys, but Tannehill and Matt Ryan are solid as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's such tough sledding if you've got a guy like Trubisky, even if you have that defense. So while while they may be able to contend for a playoff spot with Trubisky or Pickett, I, I'm just I'm worried about their ability to win double digit games. I'm not sure anything better than nine and eight is really in the cards, unless Trubisky comes yeah. out and proves to us that the Bears were the problem and not him. And that's a very real possibility yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, that, is, that is a very, very dysfunctional franchise. Yes, and they haven't done a good job building around Justin Fields. So I no, you know they have not stunned me. So I, uh, as as I'm sure everybody here has seen, because it, it 
got a it got pretty good engagement and it got a got a lot of people talking. I posted the top twenty edge rushers last Monday, the top twenty receivers heading into twenty twenty two on on Tuesday, and the top twenty quarterbacks on Wednesday. And I was I was very uh, I was surprised a little bit. I know me and Peter were talking surprised a little bit about the reaction to some of them. Uh, I know that the edge rushers people were surprisingly complimentary about them. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't really expect that. It was usually I don't expect people to be too nice about these rankings. But um, I, I was I was amused by a lot of the comments on the quarterback and the receiver one. A lot of people uh, upset about where Keenan Allen was placed among the receivers. A lot of people upset that Debo Samuel was so high, and maybe we can talk about that. But uh, what you know, Peter, whatever whatever you found most interesting. Yeah, on, on I'm pulling up. I'm, I'm pulling up the rankings now. Uh, first thing I want to say. And we talked about this before we recorded was I think that what you did for the edge rushers was your best work. I think that everyone, a lot of people are in agreement with that too. If you guys don't know, which I don't know why you wouldn't know because you're probably coming from the Instagram account to listen to this. But the one thing I would say Chandler Jones at 20 is like, you know, but, eh. but if anything, I mean, you got guys in here that not even a lot of people really know that would be this high. I mean, Brian Burns at 16 is great. I really like Harold Landry there because he had a really, really good year yeah. last year. And I think that pass rush for Tennessee is going to be huge this year between him and Jeffrey Simmons as well. I think and that's going to be Dupree, big. Too. Bud Dupree is healthy now. Uh, that's yeah. that's going to be – they're going to they're not going to allow a lot of points. They might not, might not score a lot, but it's an exciting yeah. defense. I like, um, I like Rashad Gary there as well. After his rookie season, he didn't really show us too, too much to get excited about. But he's really, really blossomed into a good player. I like him just outside the top ten. He wasn't even much of an edge rusher at first either. They really worked with him to make him like a pure edge rusher, and it's turned out brilliantly. Well, they had him, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Packers run a 3-4. So they were having him as the interior defensive end, and he was just getting cooked left and right because he wasn't wasn't athletic enough to be a pure edge rusher, but he wasn't big enough to be more of that interior defensive end. So he was just getting bullied his entire rookie season, and then he kind of like filled out, and and they put him in the right position, and he's he's been fabulous since then. Yeah. And the top ten, really, and I like your top ten, but anyone that has a rebuttal, you, it's really you could make a case for pretty much everyone in the top three to be number one, and you could change the top ten around pretty much any way that you want. Yeah. I feel like those are undoubtedly the top ten edge rushers in the NFL. Yeah, I think so. No, th- th- you could tell with uh, with every every position, there's kind of weird quirks like that. Like I think we talked last week about how the uh, the corners, it was like three to ten was so interchangeable, and then mm-hmm. everything after ten, there was like this big gap, or maybe it was after uh, after eleven. Uh, and that's kind of that's kind of the situation here. Is you could tell where there's a little bit of a drop off, and you could tell which guys could be grouped yeah. together and which couldn't. Um, and yeah, the top three I think are a clear top three: T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa. You could put that in whatever order you want. I probably wouldn't put Nick Bosa first, at least not yet. But I think it's possible after this year for him to get there. Um, and then Absolutely. after that, like Max Crosby, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Rick Cameron, Jordan. These guys are all pretty close to each other. M- Max Crosby. A lot of people don't really deep dive into the statistics, and you know, if you're if you're one of those guys that looks at pure sacks. You're gonna go all right. Like Max Crosby's a good edge rusher, but right. if you look at his his pressure rate, what he does in the run game, he's absolutely exceptional. Like there, there's just no way to go around it. 
And he's he's such an interesting case because it was actually the exact opposite his rookie year. He was a rookie in 2019, like a, I think yeah. it was a fourth round pick. Uh, and he had a bunch of sacks. I think it was something like nine and a half or ten. Yeah, I think it was it was double digits. Yeah. And so when I I, I didn't do player rankings the next year, but I did uh, I did pa- team power rankings. And when I posted the Raiders, I had so many Raiders fans telling me like like well, first of all, you had people telling me that Max Crosby should have been defensive rookie of the year over Nick Bosa, which absolutely not. Uh, but you had you had Raiders fans talking about him like he was the next great edge rusher. And while he had the sacks his rookie year, there was so much more to it. Uh, it was a promising rookie year, but he didn't grade out very well. You know, he didn't grade mm-hmm. out anywhere close to Nick Bosa, who I think was the uh, unanimous defensive rookie of the year. Uh, yeah, and all of a sudden, year, yeah. all of a sudden, he he might have had I think he had fewer sacks last year than he did his rookie year back in 2019, and he was unimaginably better. He was if, a game wrecker. If I if I could remember correctly, which I think I do, I know he had eight and a half sacks, but. His, I mean, and it was showcased. Now, now, granted, he was going up against like uh, Trey Pipkins in like mm-hmm. Game Seventeen last year, but he was relentless. I mean, you remember if you remember watching the last game of the season last year bet- between the Chargers and the Raiders, every single snap he was a problem. And his motor is, I mean, like his motor is unbelievable. His 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 win rate, his pass uh, pass rush win rate is up there as well. I mean, he's just all around. You could make a case, maybe besides for TJ Watt, that he's probably the second best all around defensive end in football. If we're talking about like, I, I honestly think the numbers could back that up where all around he's he's the second best. But then you got guys like Miles Garrett that's just so good at getting to the to the quarterback. You can't you can't deny that. Same thing with Nick Bosa. He's also a great run defender too, Nick Bosa. So, you know. There, but the argument could be made. So I really, I really, really like what you did there. And I remember, like, I always kind of look at the rankings like this because I just don't want to see like those top comments and be mean. Because you know, Dan, you're my friend. I don't like to see mean comments (laughs) towards my friends. So, but then I I looked and like the top five were like W list, and I'm like, I was a shock. All right, I'm like, all right, let's go. (laughs) But um, yeah, that list was. I think even though you're. All your lists are always well thought out. All your lists are always, you know, well researched. You, you have a hint of controversy with every single list, but the facts to back it up. I think that was your best work by far, especially this year. That was definitely your best work. The the wide receiver rankings are. I I really don't find much wrong with this. I I, I think the only thing that I would say is I've just always been a Mike Evans stan since he's been in yeah. the league. I, I would maybe put him a, a little bit higher. I would probably just swap him and DeAndre Hopkins after last year, and that's probably it. I really like those rankings. Uh, I think Tyreek Hill – I like Tyreek Hill at five because I feel like before him being traded, I feel like he was a top three receiver. And now I feel like there's going to be – he'll still get his catches. He'll still get his yards. He'll still get his touchdowns. But I feel like there is going to be a slight drop-off because Tua obviously doesn't have the arm that Patrick Mahomes had. So I like him at number five there. You um, mean the most I, accurate quarterback in the NFL? Oh, <laughs> don't get – don't stop it. Don't even <laughs> – That's what Tyreek said. Um, oh, don't play I like Debo. I like Debo up there. Uh, I'd probably put Justin Jefferson over Debo Samuel, but other than that, I, I can't really find anything wrong with this. A lot of people did not like Debo being that high. And I, I'll tell you what, I know, I know it was really one-year production – but he is such an impactful player. He's so unique. It's mm-hmm. just the way he impacts the game. 
is so unique to all other receivers. And it's kind of why I'm so high. I, I know it's – I don't mean to sound like I'm all in on the 49ers. But it's part of the reason I'm so high on George Kittle. Even when he's not really producing a ton of you know receiving numbers, he impacts the game in such a way. He's such a force, whether it's as a yeah. blocker or as a receiver. And Debo is the same way, just in different facets of the game. You know, as a running back, as a receiver, shifty, the speed he has. I mean, he's such a weapon. Uh, that, that That's kind of what made the difference uh, between him and, we'll say, the four or five guys behind him. I, I, I think, you know, when you watch some of those 49ers games down the stretch, especially in the playoffs, I know he had a he had a play, and I don't remember if it, it was against the Rams, and I don't remember if it was the NFC title game or that Week 18 game. It, might, it was probably Week 18. He had a play that sold it for me. You know, turning out like what should be a, a one- or two-yard gain into 30 yards uh, because of how, much, how well he can move. Uh, that did it for me. A couple people weren't ready to put Cooper Cup number one, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think a lot of people say, oh, look, he had a ton of receptions and one, one great year, and so he can't be number one yet. Uh, but it's the eye test for me on Cooper Cup, if you watch him. I, I, I mentioned it in the comments to somebody, and I might have mentioned it to you before. I'm not sure. But that game against the Bucks in the playoffs where he had the, the two catches on that final drive, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, obviously the one that set up the field goal where he got ridiculous separation. Uh, but the one before that, I think, shows me how insanely good of a receiver he is. The, the catch before that, that gained about 15 or 20 yards, he had some ridiculous footwork to shake off Sean Murphy bunting. Get some separation, uh, catch the ball by himself, gain a few yards, and then get out on the sideline and save time. You don't see footwork like that uh, for most receivers. It's no, it's something that I think nobody else on this list is really that capable of. It, it, it was yeah. he, he's such a he's such a complete package. I know it took him a little while to put it together, but I, I really had no doubts about putting him number one. If you talk to anyone that is really into those like super analytics for like football or anything like that they'll be the first ones to tell you that separation from the line of scrimmage is basically the deciding factor for how good a wide receiver is and i know that sounds crazy because you still physically have to catch the ball but you're and and run your route but you're giving your quarterback the utmost opportunity to find you on the field and i mean you have if we're talking about pure separation who I, Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup are one and two. Like I think so. Yeah, without a doubt. If you combine if you combine footwork and separation, I'm probably gonna say your top five is I, I probably wouldn't put Debo in there only because I know he does get great separation, but uh, you know, a lot of his plays come from the backfield and, and that's kind of tough to you know um tough to defend as well. But he's he's a fantastic if you just took the running ability away from it, he's still a fantastic wide receiver. Mm-hmm. But I think my top five would probably be Cup, Devontae Adams. I put Justin Jefferson up at near three. And I'd probably put Jamar Chase four because he's another guy that just gets like a ton of separation. It's it's honestly insane. And then Tyreek Hill would probably be uh, Tyreek Hill would probably be four and Jamar Chase would be number five for me because uh, well while Tyreek Hill is probably the fastest wide receiver in the NFL. I feel like these guys are more technically sound than Tyreek Hill because, mm-hmm. I mean, Tyreek Hill will just burn you off the line, and he'll tell you before the snap that he's going to run right past you and he's going right. to do it. Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, I mean, it's a roll of the dice. You don't know what's, what those guys are going to do, and that's honestly the biggest intimidation factor about it too where it's like, Dude, Cooper Cup lines up, and I'm just like, he's going to get open. I'm like, yeah. There's no way he's not going to get open. Yeah, and not everybody can do that. Same it's thing rare. with Devontae Adams. There is, 
There's a lot of people that are predicting a huge drop-off from Devontae Adams. I don't see it this year. I see Devontae Adams, Devontae Adams having over 100 catches and over 1,400 yards this year. And he's, he's already played with Derek Carr, too, in college. Yeah. They've been good friends for a long time. I think they got that connection. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't see Absolutely. much of a drop-off. Uh, if anything... You know, I, I understand like there's some other options there. Like Hunter Renfro had a thousand yards last year. Darren Waller uh, is another guy who's a thousand yard contender. So I understand there's some competition around him for uh, for targets. But he's, I think he's too talented, and he's got that connection with Derek Carr that I'm not, I'm not really expecting much of a drop off. It, yeah. You know, I know he's going into year nine, so like he's not going to last forever. But he's got a, at least a couple years left of his prime. I have to say, the the quarterback list for me the biggest W out of all of them. People were were surprisingly uh, uh, nice about this. Of course, you know, a lot of people disagreed on certain things, but no, no, absolutely. The biggest W out of all of them. I'll tell you why, because the top five is so perfectly put together. And then six through 10 is interchangeable. Yeah. But those guys are, this is the top 10. Like this is absolutely the top 10. Uh, Mahomes, Rogers, Allen, Brady, Herbert, my top five in order from one to five. I think that that that's great. Absolutely great. I love the the respect for Justin Herbert because he's very, very quickly becoming one of the best quarterbacks in the league and one of the most talented as well. I feel like there's a big see like one, two, three. It's so funny. The disparagement between one, two, three and then four, because if you look at one, two, three, those are three. The three most talented quarterbacks on top of being good quarterbacks. Right. You know what I'm saying? You're talking about arm talent. You're talking about mobility, throw on the run, you know, uh, being able to escape sacks. Aaron Rodgers has been notoriously slippery in his entire career. It's it's honestly very, very surprising how elusive he is as a quarterback, not really looking that athletic. And then Mahomes, we all know. Um, Allen is a truck stick waiting to happen. And then, but then you have Tom Brady who literally walks around with his feet in cinder blocks, but is still <laughs> such a fantastic quarterback. I, isn't that funny how like how you think about it? And like Justin Herbert is is a good athlete, but he's not the throw on the run type of guy. Now he can do it, but he's not that type of guy that those three are. You know, there are right. some there are some differences in their games where you could say, yes, this is the undoubted top three. And then it's like Justin Herbert's definitely top five, but he is number five right now. And, you know, I, I, I just – I love the way it's constructed. And then you got Joe Burrow, who's just a born winner. He just knows how to win. Uh, Matthew Stafford, who I'm the biggest Matthew Stafford apologist of all time. You'll never find a bigger one. I was constantly saying that he was a Hall of Famer before he even won the Super Bowl. So now you'll never hear the end of it from me. Um, <laughs> uh, Lamar Jackson at eight. And Dak Prescott at nine, I like that a lot because those guys can consistently get disrespected and are definitely top 10 ta- quarterback talents in the league. And then Russell Wilson, who maybe if this was last year and we were talking about it, I'd say I'd probably put him around six, five or six. I think I think I had him fifth last year. Yeah. And now we're talking about him this year. New team, um, new lease on life, if you will, uh, which a lot of people said I, I did. It's funny. I did a Seattle Seahawks. A mock draft after after Russell Wilson got traded mm-hmm. and a lot of people were like oh like Russell Wilson has been hurt for some time now and I said these are the only games he's missed in his entire career I was like I don't know what you're talking about people, this is the first, like 
People, people like just to make say things. things. Say things. Like I, I know, I know we're not we're not big into that Kyler Murray contract, but somebody somebody commented on that. Like one of the first comments uh, on my post was saying that he gets injured too much, and I was like, oh well, wait a minute, wait a minute here. He's missed three games in his career out of three years. You'll take that from any quarterback missing one game a year. Yeah. I, I know he I know he played through an injury in the final game in 2020, like some kind of maybe a, I, I don't even remember. I don't want to say because I don't remember what kind of injury it was. He played through an injury the final game in 2020, which by week 17, like, yeah, you're not going to be healthy. Uh, and then this year he missed three games. They went two and one without him. That So, you know, people people like to create this like fiction that some guys are, are injury prone. When in reality, the only issue with Wilson was he had one injury. Uh, that was the first injury of his career, right? That forced him to No, that's, that's what I said. I literally talked to that guy. I said, I don't know what kind of Seattle Seahawks fan you are, yeah. but Russell Wilson, it's common knowledge that Russell Wilson was never on the IR or never missed a game in his career ten, before ten, that. Ten years there, he had one injury that he came back from, I think, exactly when he was supposed to. You know, it was supposed to be like a month injury. He came back in a month. Yeah, he and then missed three games. Yeah, I, and, I not only, and not only that, they were like, he's washed. I'm like, he still had a good year. I'm like, what do you want from the guy? He had, like, he had a good year. It wasn't as good as, his, as some of his other years, but I think it was time for a fresh start. And so we'll both, see what he can both. do. Denver. I'll say that was the ranking that I think got maybe the, the fewest complaints was the Russell Wilson ranking. I don't, I, maybe like one or two people commented about him saying yeah. that he should be ahead of Dak. But other than that, that was like nobody even wanted to touch that one. So I, I think that one is like the consensus that he's behind yeah. that group, but he's ahead of the next year. And I, I like I, I like um, another thing too. I love the respect for Baker Mayfield at 19. You're giving him a shot. I'm yeah. sure his representatives really appreciate that up there <laughs> at, at at number 19. Uh, I me personally, from what I've seen, I know that Jalen Hurts is a guy that doesn't really like throw outside the numbers. I'd probably put him above Mac Jones, Carson Wentz, and Baker Mayfield. But other than that. I think that I wouldn't put him above Matt Ryan because those guys are all established. I think Derek Carr deserves 12, but these are such my, like this, obviously this is just me talking. I've all, another guy I've been an apologist for, for a long time. I was, you know how, like, you know how some jet fans have the Zach Wilson is good shirts. Yeah. I was the first person that was like, Derek Carr is good. And that was like a few years ago where like, he was like, Oh, I don't know if he's going to stay on the Raiders and everything. I'm like, no, Derek Carr is a good quarterback. People just don't want to don't want to say it, and right. now I feel like now especially, and of course you're going to have those people that are like, oh well, Derek Carr's only good if he if he goes out there and throws almost five thousand yards, forty touchdowns, and ten interceptions, they're going to go, oh well, he had Devontae Adams, of course he's going to be yeah, good. Yeah, you know, well, there's always going to be a point catch. Them, point them to last season because yeah. last season the amount of adversity that they went through was insane. I mean. You know the the he had to survive the John Gruden thing, uh, Henry the, Ruggs. The Henry Ruggs thing. Damon could Arnett have the, could have thrown the whole team off. Damon Arnett is probably more than I'm not even thinking of. Uh, probably there was one more. There was one more that we're forgetting. Yeah, there's there one more. Like, what was it? I don't remember. No, I'm just saying. No, that. I know that there was like four. But I'm definitely forgetting. I think I even tweeted about it too. Maybe I'll dig that up later. But uh, but not only that, they they didn't just they didn't just rely on their three and zero start. Before all the drama happened, of course the three and zero helps, but they fell out of playoff contention midseason because of how mm-hmm. poorly they were playing. And he picked it up, with, you know, without Rugs, who was actually having a pretty nice year, uh, with an interim coach who had never been a head coach at this level before. Uh, and he got, he got them to I think ten and six, and they beat the Chargers when a lot of people didn't think they would. Uh, 
they beat the Browns in that that ugly COVID ravaged game. But you know he 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 did what he had to do, and they won the game in in the spotlight. Uh, what was the other? Oh, they, I think they beat the Colts too, right? That was part yeah. of the uh, part of the Colts' big collapse toward the end. Right before that Jaguars loss, they they mm-hmm. lost a bad one to the Raiders. You know, going out there and beating teams like that showed a ton for me about Derek Carr, not just as Absolutely. a player but as a leader. I know, I know he's a, I know he's like a man of God and a, a great, uh, you know, a great leader. But that really proved to me how uh, how talented, a bit of a leader he actually of is, a person, of a leader, of a player he is. So, and with that being said, I ranked him 14th behind Kyler Murray and Kirk Cousins. But, but that that just says more about like you know, look, Kyler well, Kirk Murray, Cousins is also a man of God, so that's okay. <laughs> and you, you know what? I I've always been I've always been kind of pro Kirk Cousins. I think he's really going to benefit from having a coach who doesn't despise him. It was well known that Mike Zimmer <laughs> hated him. Well, I, at the end, Mike Zimmer just hated everyone. Mike at the Zimmer end, hated everybody. But Mike Zimmer just did not want anything to do with Kirk Cousins. That based on everything I've read, everything I've heard. He wanted nothing to do with Kirk Cousins. I think Kirk Cousins is going to benefit a lot from a better defense now that Daniel Hunter is healthy, as Darius Smith is there. Uh, not a perfect defense, but a better one. And a coach who is offensive-minded and doesn't hate him. I think Kevin O'Connell is going to allow him to do some big things. You know, will it translate to a lot of wins? I don't know. Uh, but I think I think he's going to – I think he's nowhere close to done as a starting quarterback in the NFL. So I, think, I, I took him over over Kyler Murray. I took him over Derek Carr. It's close. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I think that really has more to do with being pro-Kirk Cousins than anti-Derek Carr or something like that. Dan, there's only one thing I have to say about this list that I'm, I I despise. And it's the fact that Zach Wilson is not on this list because he's got that dog in him. I you can't know, believe you didn't take that into – terrible rookie year aside, I can't believe you didn't take into account that he's got that dog in him. Did you see the Did you see the shirt that CJ Uzama was wearing coming into training camp with the uh, – I bought I, – I did see that. I bought a shirt. I, I'm going to wear it. It's going to come either next week or, or two weeks from now. I'm not going to say what it is, but I'm going to wear it. Well, I, I might need to get the one that CJ Uzama was wearing, which was the uh, the Time Magazine, a white T-shirt that with the Time Magazine cover on it that just has Zach Wilson's face. I think it's amazing. I, I I think it's fantastic. But Dan, I just wanted to say, if no one else told you, this is what I'm here for. You did a really good job. I know that that's not easy, and I know coming from someone like me that always says, "Hey, the negative comments don't affect me." There, at some point. It's like Jesus Christ, leave me alone. <laughs> you did. You did a good job. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I really don't have any issues. Me, I study your lists intently. I don't just look at it and I'm like, hey, great job. You know, I'm not here to ride you because you know we're 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 co-hosts. I'll tell you the the first thing that you do that's wrong. But I think you did a really really good job, and and it's only going to get better, obviously, as the years go go on as well yeah. too. So I, I think you did a really really good job, and I'm looking forward to the uh, team rankings. So obviously, like you told us before, you have the Chicago bears at 32 and they have the Atlanta Falcons at 31. Yeah. I appreciate that. And you know, I love doing these player rankings. I started them up last year, mostly as like a way to fill content. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think I spent a lot more time doing them this year in terms of like researching and putting together these lists. Right. last, Last year, maybe I didn't have the time or something, but this year I came prepared. Like that's why I was in the comments this year. Because everything I ranked, I had a reason behind. Like I felt very confident in, uh, you know, even if even if there were some positions where, like, like with cornerback three through ten, we're all really close. Uh, I had my reasons for it, and I, I I had informed opinions about these guys, you know. So 
this was they were a lot of fun to make. I always I like the graphics too. I think they look good. So um, I. And, and I, I, I want to ask you off camera how you do those graphics because the graphics that you cook up for the podcast too are really, really good. And, and coming from me where I'm like a man from the Stone Age, it's a, it's a miracle that I could even get my computer to turn on half the time. So <laughs> for, me, you know, it, for me, it's all still a work in progress. Listen, if you look at some of the stuff I was posting back, you know, way back when or even three or four years ago, not good. Some of the stuff I put out now, not good. You know, it's a constant, <laughs> it's a constant journey. Uh, to make things more visually appealing. But I love these player rankings. And the biggest reason I love them is probably that it, for me, it signals the start of football season because mm -hmm. those begin. And by the time those end, you're on to team rankings. And by the time you're done with team rankings, it's opening night, essentially. You know, I think it ends a couple of days before opening night. So, you know, we're you well You time everything way. perfectly, man. You, you're doing a great job. And uh, I'm looking forward to eventually, probably, I don't want you to say anything, but I'm looking forward to seeing the Jets maybe inside the top 25 this year. Uh, so let's see. I listen, I mostly take it team by team. So I know as much as you do. I, I don't know yet. We'll see. I know who's going to be 30. What an absolute I know who will be 29, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right that, to my so. face. Um, <laughs> no, that's, that's, you, you did a good job. I'm glad that we finally gave to give, you know, the gave to give. Okay. That, that made sense. I had to say that one more time again. We, we, um, we got to give the people who are listening from Instagram and all sports news kind of some like, like reasons and, and kind of like drawbacks to the picks and everything. Like I reiterated from last week as well. Like it's nice that you could finally put, you know, a face to the name and then kind of really get the reasoning behind the picks. And cause I know that if I look at a player ranking and I don't like it and there's no reason for it, I get mad because I'm just like, all right, like, give me a reason why, you know, and then maybe I'll, if, if you give me a reason why, and it's a good explanation, I'll take it into consideration. I might not agree with you, but at least I will, I, I will think differently of it. You might've influenced me to think a little bit differently of it. So I think that this is good to get those people, you know, like some reasons behind what you do. And I think it's a great job. And, uh, we have what, one more, two more things really to talk about. And, and, um, it's a big trade. It's a big trade for multiple yeah. reasons. Switch kind of switching gears to uh, MLB. Obviously, the trade deadline is Tuesday. 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 Tuesday at six. I forgot that they made. I forgot that they extended it. Yeah. yeah, they extended it. So that's uh, August second. So two days ago, this trade was now right. Yep. Yep. Friday it was Luis, night. Luis Castillo. That very, and they came out of left field. And I feel like Seattle has been doing that a lot lately. And they also did a lot of business with Cincinnati in the off season. So we yeah. kind of sort of saw this coming a little bit more. But if you guys don't know that Luis Castillo was traded from the Cincinnati Reds to the Seattle's, um, I was going to say Seahawks, the Seattle Mariners for an absolute haul. That yeah, was a haul. Got, it was a haul. They got three of the Mariners' top five prospects. The top one being Noel V. Marte who is, uh, I think, the 18th-ranked prospect in baseball. And then on top of that, let me just – let me pull it up. Uh, they got Edwin Arroyo, and I, I didn't know much about Edwin Arroyo, who's another shortstop. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know they have like four, four shortstop prospects now at the top of their list, but shortstops are so versatile that you can move them anywhere. So I, I don't think that's something to worry about. But uh, Edwin Arroyo is a guy who's 18 years old hitting 316 with 13 home runs at single A. To do that at 18? Yeah, it's very impressive. impressive. It's very impressive. Uh, so on top of that, they got Levi Stout, who was the 
Mariners number five prospect. What I looked at the minor league numbers. What a tremendous name, Levi, Levi Stout. Stout nice baseball name. That's awesome. See, uh, that's why I can never beat Dan. You have a good baseball name. Dan Tracy's a great baseball name. Well, Maybe, it didn't work because I'm not playing baseball. <laughs> Fair point. But I I like to believe that the only reason why I am not playing in the majors right now is because I don't have a baseball name. It doesn't roll off the tongue. You know, Peter Andrasani does not roll off the tongue. Like I can't hear my name being stated by, you know, the the PA announcer. Like now bad. Have, have you seen the Italians in this Yankees Royals series though? Yes. The Royals got Vinny Pasquantino. I love that. Vinny Pasquantino. Do you think, do you think he grew up thinking he had a baseball name? I, but that's I mean, so much cooler. Vinny is such a cool name. Like, Dan, you don't understand the struggle. You don't. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Same, you know, I'll give it Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo are baseball names, even though they're yeah. Italian. Joey Gallo. Well, well Joey Gallo is not even a baseball player. So he's not, No, but he's got a baseball name. He's going to be a baseball player with the uh, the Brewers or somebody in a couple of days. Oh, Maybe God. we'll talk about that next week when he's traded. Oh, I can't wait. I, I could taste it. I'm so excited. But, you know, this was a this was a situation going back to the Reds and Mariners where, uh, you know, obviously Reds fans are kind of sick and tired of their team trading off stars. Uh, but they seem to react to this one really well. I mean, obviously part of it is they already knew that Luis Castillo was going to get traded. But they seem to really be receptive to receptive to the haul they got. How could you not? I mean, yeah. three top five prospects from the Mariners. Best you can do. Yeah, and and we already know we we knew this for a long time that basically the the highest bidder the entire time for Luis Castillo was the New York Yankees, and we already know that uh, as Walt Peraza and um, Anthony Volpe are off off the tape. In any trade yeah. scenario, really. So when you can get three of the top five prospects from any team, I'm going to take it. You know, so I think that – but Seattle is so deep in so many different positions that I don't really think it mattered that much. I really don't. I know that it's like three of the top five prospects. Okay. But, you know, you still got two other top five prospects. <laughs> and at the end of the day, how many of these prospects really, really pan out? So I'd rather have – how old is Castillo? 27, 28? He's, uh, let me take a look. Did I not include it? Oh, he's 29. Okay. Even oh, still player. on the right, still on the right side of 30. Yeah. So, you know, and you're he's getting got a guy. Year too. He's on a contract next year. Yeah. So it's well worth it for me. And then you got a guy, they got a nice rotation now. They have a very, very respectable rotation. They had one before that. But what made me really surprised about this deal was they, not only did they come out of left field and become the team that Luis Castillo went to, but like they were so bad at the beginning of the season and we were expecting so much better from Seattle because not only did they, you know, come within what one or two games of a playoff spot last yeah. year, they got way better pitching wise and they got a bunch of power hitters too to hit in that pitcher friendly ballpark. So we expected big things. It didn't really happen, but now they're turning the corner and they're becoming more of a playoff team every single day. So to get Luis Castillo could definitely take them over the hump. And, you know, get like if I'm a player on the Seattle Mariners, I'm getting pumped up right now. Like we just got one of the better pitchers in baseball. Now, th this makes me feel like the team believes in us to make the playoffs this year. And I think I think this acquisition is going to go a long way for the Seattle Mariners. Yeah. And I think one of the big things I know, I know they couldn't trade every prospect. They still gave up a lot. Yeah. Uh, but they kept uh, a pitcher who's having uh, a former first round pick who's having a really, really good year in the minors probably would have been rated higher if the rankings were updated more recently. 
I know this is a base. We're talking about baseball names. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Can I guess beforehand? Go ahead. Is it Emerson Hancock? It is Emerson Hancock. <laughs> but, we, we, but the fact that they were able to keep him, and I, you know, I know they need they need bats. They're still not really hitting. Uh, but next, that means by the middle of next year, because I know Emerson Hancock is like 24 or something, or at least 23. By the middle of next year, you can have Logan Gilbert, Luis Castillo, George Kirby. Uh, Emerson Hancock, and then whoever Robbie else, Wright. whether it's Marco Gonzalez or whoever Robbie in that Wright. rotation. That's the top five rotation yeah. in baseball, as long as Emerson Hancock pans out. George Kirby's been pitching a lot better lately. What a name. I, 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 I he was, uh, he was like, <laughs> he was one of three, I think, college pitchers that the Mariners took in the first round in like back to back to back years. That's outstanding. Or they got, um, they got Lo- Logan Gilbert, who's their ace mm-hmm. now. They got George Kirby, who's quickly turning into a great major league starter, and then they drafted Emerson Hancock. Dude, I'm sorry. That works for him. I'm sorry if I don't even need pitching, and there's a guy on my big board, and his name is Emerson Hancock. I'm drafting him. I don't care if I don't need a pitcher. Shame on the teams that passed on him. There were a few of them. I think he went sixth or something overall. I think, regardless, I think it's it's. Now, now you're really seeing a surplus of starters for the Seattle Mariners, and you got to figure that Marco Gonzalez is probably on his way out after this year. Um, but they still have about six very, very viable starters, so I think it's a really good situation for them. Now, kind of to flip the switch onto a team that was in on Luis Castillo but didn't get him was the Yankees. Now, the Yankees, it's no secret that the Yankees have been looking for pitching help, not only in the starting rotation but in the bullpen. As well, you know, with uh, the wise ago was out long term, and now he's back. And Michael King is out now, and um, Chad Green is out for the whole season too. You definitely need another piece in the bullpen. But on top of that, you could argue that they really need another starter as well. So, as a Yankee fan, you are a Yankee fan as well. Who are you looking at when the deadline comes? That could be a potential tradee for the Yankees. I know Frankie Montas is a name that keeps coming up with the Yankees. And after they lost out on Luis Castillo, I'd almost be surprised if they didn't make a huge run at Montas. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, only, the only issue with him is he had a shoulder issue recently. Uh, and that kept, put him on the IL for about a week and a half, like something like the minimum. Uh, then he came back and he only threw three innings. There, so he, he's had to build up his arm. He hasn't proved he's back to the, uh, the starter he was before. But... I think he's the top pitcher on the market right now when we talk about starting pitchers. The Yankees obviously should make a run at one. I think uh, yeah. Jordan Montgomery today had another another tough start, and he had a yeah. tough start against the Mets last week or earlier this week, only lasted two and a third innings, I think. On top of that, Luis Severino is still working his way back from an injury. Domingo Herman has not pitched well. Uh, and you face the, the prospect of somebody like Severino – burning out at the end of the year. You know, even though yeah. the IL stint might help him a little bit, limit his innings, uh, he hasn't pitched really in two years before this year. So you you, you have a potential problem where uh, Luis Severino gets burnt out toward the end of the year. We haven't seen Jameson Tyone give 200 innings or 180 innings. And he's really starting hard. to really, besides for his last start, he's really starting to kind of be more of the inconsistent Jameson Tyone that we saw last year. Yeah, I mean, it, about mid-June, he hit a real rough patch. And then right before, yeah. uh, I think it was easy, it was right before the All-Star break against the Red Sox, he bounced back. Yeah, and he had a good start. Um, I appreciate so he, he had a good start He's had ups year. and downs, but yeah. the downs are a little bit of a problem. It's, yeah. it's, it, they're not a problem on their own, but when you have Jordan Montgomery scuffling, and when you have Luis Severino injured and Domingo Herman not really replacing oh, him very well, 
you know, now what are you what are you left with? Garrett Cole? Yeah, Nestor okay. Cortez. Garrett Cole and Nestor and Nestor's coming off a nice start. So, you know, yeah. if he can if he can pitch better, that's huge for them. Uh, but it seems like you need somebody. And listen, if you have a lot of confidence in these guys, and I know Brian Cashman probably does, otherwise he wouldn't have went into the season with that rotation. Uh, maybe Jose Quintana is somebody that you want to go after. He's mm-hmm. had a really nice year with the Pirates, uh, which is a crazy league. statement. Which it is, and it, you know, it's a, it was a good deal for them because they gave him a one-year deal, and now they're probably going to get a pretty solid prospect for him. You know, nothing crazy. Yeah, because he's a rental. And uh, the Yankees do like to do business with the Pittsburgh Pirates as well. Yes, yeah, so and they've done very well when they've done business with the Pirates. Yeah. We talked about there's another. There's another guy that. Um, was thrown out there as well that I think could be a really, really nice piece. It's going to cost a little bit more, but he's on a one-year deal. I like the prospect of Carlos Rodon coming over to the Yankees. I like that a lot. I like – now Now you're talking about if Rodon comes – now you're talking about three lefties in your starting rotation, essentially. But I don't think it's as bad because once Severino comes back, I would like to see the Yankees – to save his arm and basically everyone else's arm down the stretch. I'd like to see more of a six got six man rotation. I know that that's basically neutralized in today's MLB. You don't see that too often. I think the angels started the season with a six man rotation. And that was the first time that yeah. we saw that in a really long time to cater to Shohei Otani. But the Houston Astros have been doing it. Uh, it's not really a six man rotation. It's really a four man rotation with Justin Verlander being sprinkled in there every mm-hmm. once in a while. I, I don't know if you if you knew that before the All-Star break, he had 10 days in between starts while he was healthy. They're just wow. trying to give him as much rest as possible, and yeah. it's it's paid off so far. Um, but I would like to see the Yankees kind of stretch it out because I, I love the idea of Carlos Rodon coming over. I'm not a big fan of three lefties in the starting rotation, but if you make it a six-man rotation, you got three lefties, you got three righties. Uh, I think it could go a long way, especially for someone like uh, Luis Severino, especially for someone like Nestor Cortez, who probably hasn't pitched as many innings already in his career. I mean, he's definitely got well over 125 innings at this point, you know, or something close to that. Definitely. He definitely hasn't pitched that many before in his career. And then, you know, I like to give Garrett Cole a little bit more rest too. So I think that stretching those guys out could make it that much more beneficial when it comes down to crunch time. Because then if you're going to go into the into the playoffs with a three-man rotation – those guys' arms are more, like like more than okay to go every three days. Yeah, and you can afford to do that when you have a team that has an eleven and a half game lead in the division. Yeah. I, I know, I know, they're still playing for something because they're only two games ahead of the Astros for the the top seed in the AL, and that's going to be important come the ALCS potentially. Yeah, but when you have this much of a cushion in your division, you can afford to trade for a starter and then mix them into what becomes a six man rotation. And for Rodon, I think there's no doubt that would be awesome for them. I mean, he's filthy when he's on. I know yeah. he's had a he's had a couple rough rough outings lately. You know, he was a he was a sleeper Cy Young candidate for a little bit, maybe back in let's say a month ago, mm-hmm. uh, early July. He had a couple. He had a stretch where he allowed like one earned run in in four or five starts. It was ridiculous. Uh, he's such a strikeout artist, filthy when he's on. I think he would do. He's already proven he's done well in the AL. You know, he had that great yeah. year with the White Sox. Fits the mold of the Yankees too. Yes, strikeout pitcher. Yes, you give up what you have to give up to get him, even if he's a rental. You know, the only issue is the Giants aren't. He's not guaranteed to go. Like Frankie Montas is yeah. going to go. Jose yeah. Quintana is going to go. The Giants could say, "Listen, and this is what we talked about with the Orioles way back when." The Giants can say, "Listen, we, we're fine with keeping him and making a run at a wild card spot. We're not out of contention. So up your offer, or we're going to keep him. Like it's not like yeah. he goes to the highest bidder." 
so that that's the only reason why he may be tough to get. I think if the Yankees aren't really comfortable with giving up big prospects, they might want to go with Montas, even though Montas is controllable. I still feel yeah. like the Giants are going to ask for a ton if they want to trade Rodon. But man, yeah. if, if they could get their hands on him, that would be that would make them. I think that would assert them right back over the Astros and the AL. I, right now, I, I feel think like that's exactly. I think. I think that's exactly what the Yankees need right now because if you look at it over the last 30 games, the Yankees have really been a pretty mediocre team. If they didn't get out to such an absolutely unbelievable start, you know, we could be having a different discussion right now. But I think the Yankees need to make a move right now that asserts their dominance once again because when they were 40 games over 500, you know, they were the dominant team. They were on fire. Now they've cooled off a lot and the Astros have come up. They're honestly right now, I mean, and even over the course of the season, they've been the more dominant team because they've dominated the Yankees so far this year. And then yeah. you look at the Dodgers, who now have, by percentage points, the best record in baseball. So the Yankees are, are very, very slowly, but starting to kind of fall behind these other juggernauts. So I think they need to make a move, whether it's Montas, whether it's Rodon, whether it's even Quintana. They need to make some kind of move that will assert them back to the top. They have a chance to do what the Astros did in 2019. So in 2019, we were in the same situation at this very time of year. It was the Astros and Yankees are the two best teams in the AL. They're probably going to be in the ALCS. They seem very equal. And then five minutes before the trade deadline, the Astros went out and traded for Zach Greinke. And that was back when Zach Greinke was very, very good. Uh, and he ended up facing the Yankees in the ALCS, just like everybody predicted. And mm -hmm. Zach Greinke beat the Yankees. It was either game three or game four. He, he came out and beat the Yankees. Uh, and at that deadline, the Yankees stood pat. They didn't make a move, at least not a notable move. I know everybody was upset with Brian Cashman. Um, I, I think even Brian Cashman was caught off guard a little bit by the Astros' move for Greinke. And in the end, while Verlander and Cole were the biggest reasons why they ended up coming within a win of a championship, Zach Greinke made a difference in the ALCS, and he made a difference down the stretch uh, and it costs the Yankees. I think the Yankees can't repeat that. And two, they have to be aggressive and play the Astros. They have to be the one that goes out and makes that move for a starter. That separates them from Houston. I, I remember being upset when the Astros traded for Granke because these were two teams that looked equal. And the Astros went out and said, we're, we're not content with that. We're going to get a third ace and we're going to separate ourselves from the Yankees. And they did That's it. That's exactly what they did. You know, if the Yankees get, I don't know if Quintana makes that kind of difference. I really don't think he does, but he may be helpful. Uh, but if they went out and got Montas or went out and got Carlos Rodon, I think that's the type of move that can separate them from Houston. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're definitely right about that. Um, one more thing that we both wanted to say before we ended the podcast today is today, the day of recording on Sunday, uh, NBA legend Bill Russell did pass away peacefully today. So I, he is exactly that, a legend on the court, a legend off the court, a larger-than-life personality. Um, and you brought up a good point too, Dan. You, you said that it kind of – even though he was 88, it kind of caught you a little off guard there. And it, I agree with that too. Yeah, it hits you. I mean, in more ways than one. I mean, one is that he, he, he looked like he was in, in pretty decent health. I know he hasn't been around the NBA much lately, but he's, he's been pretty active on Instagram. Or whoever was running his Instagram was pretty active. Um, I watched a few of his videos lately. He didn't, he didn't sound so good, but he still looked pretty good. Uh, but two, you know, he's, he's been involved in the NBA for so long, such an active participant showing up at all those ceremonies. Uh, most notably the finals MVP ceremony because the awards named after him. 
every year that, yeah, he, he was not a guy who, you know, re- retired to a quiet life in the 70s and 80s. He was out there. He was active uh, both as an activist and uh, and just within the basketball world. And so, you know, losing somebody like him, it, it hits you a little bit, especially if yeah. you if you know the greatness of him and how much he's contributed to the NBA. Yeah, greatest thing he ever did was when Wilt Chamberlain got $100,000, he walked into the owner's office the next day and asked for $100,001. Now that is the <laughs> next level pettiness right there that is Hall of Fame worthy. But no, besides for that little funny anecdote, I mean, if you don't know, if you're listening to this right now, first off, thank you, because this is probably one of the longer podcasts we have, but there was a lot to talk about today and we did have an interview. Go look at what Bill Russell has done on and off the court, and you're going to see what an impact that man had, not only in basketball, but in sports and in just really pop culture in general. So, you know, the the NBA and the sports world definitely lost a legend today. So RIP Bill Russell for that. And um, you can't say enough about 11 championships. I know. I know. We didn't even have to get into that because, I mean, if you have two handfuls of championships, you could say and do whatever you want. Absolutely. You know. and if, listen, anybody who's, if you're listening to this in Boston, where I, I spent a few years, go to the statue that they have of him outside of City Hall. I've been there. Uh, that's a good place to pay your respects because he, he meant so much to the city of Boston uh, and, of course, the sport of basketball as a whole. Yeah. Dan, do you have Peter? anything else to say before we, uh, before we close? I think we are all set. Uh, I think, you know, I, I appreciate everybody listening this far and we're definitely looking forward to getting some more guests on. We, get, we you know, we're starting to line, line some up. Uh, we got nothing but time. We, you know, every week we're going to try to have a different guest. It may not happen every week, but. But it's going to happen more often than it's not. It's going to happen sure. more often than not. And we're, we're looking forward to bringing some pretty cool people to you, whether that's right now or in the future. And we, I hope you enjoy the interview with Sokobi. Uh, Peter's did a great job with it. We're very happy with it. And um, thank you for listening this far. And we look forward to you listening again next week. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Zacoby McLean, for coming on and being our first guest. And thank you guys for your unconditional support and your continued support. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening.